0: I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 3 of Next Story Up, a Smart Building Services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1, A Bittersweet Symphony. One theme of our series can be simply stated as times change. For the most part on Next Story Up, we celebrate the ways in which as time moves forward, things get better. But I'll concede that this is subjective. The new good comes with the new bad, although the new good is almost always needed or desired, and that's why it arrived in the first place. For instance, cybersecurity issues wouldn't be such a concern if we weren't so fully wedded to all the good technology and digitization has brought us. The same is true with the always-on nature of our lives today. Even people like me who have made careers out of promoting and evangelizing connectivity and smart technology have hours, days, or weeks where we just want to unplug or where we long for the ability to just be unreachable and left alone. Maybe at those points, we're looking for a simpler time, like when we could just put up an away message on AIM to signal that we weren't available and that was just okay. There's a great book about this called Hamlet's Blackberry that I happily recommend. The point is, Some things actually don't get better. They just change, and maybe to the extent that they are unrecognizable from their origins, life included. Take music, for example. Is music that's released today better than music that was released in the 16th or 17th century, just because it's newer and has evolved many times over from its precedent? Scan the top 40. You can make an easy case that even that is no longer relevant, as the way we've consumed music in recent years is almost as different as the way we've made it. But, just the same, scan it, and you'll find Ed Sheeran, DJ Khaled, and the Jonas Brothers. You won't find Mozart, Beethoven, and Chopin. Lots of people, myself included, would as freely listen to the former three as they would the latter, just because of how our tastes have evolved with what's been available in our lives. I can't say I completely don't understand why someone would like a new song by Sam Smith or Taylor Swift. They are catchy. But I'd feel uncomfortable saying it's better or more impressive than Beethoven. And again, Beethoven wasn't the first musician ever, and surely his style was built off other musicians of days gone by, and people thought it was wrong or strange during its inception. But I have to start somewhere. And I've seen a Beethoven symphony before while sitting in some plush, Squeaky seats surrounded by a bunch of people who, it felt like, had no interest in my being there. It was fun times. I dropped all that anxiety, though, once the symphony started. What's amazing about a symphony orchestra is the moving parts. From the ostentatious leader up front conducting the music, to each section of classically trained musicians who have spent thousands of painstaking hours practicing their craft, just so that they can play their part in the larger whole of what Beethoven has created. You'd have to focus to isolate the music from the violins, cellos, oboes, and clarinets, and it'd be downright impossible to pinpoint just one instrument from where you sit. But, taken as a whole, they perform something magical. What's more, if something didn't work, if the conductor got confused, or if one musician was playing the wrong page of sheet music, or an instrument were out of tune or broken, you'd be able to hear that as a listener, and it would throw the whole ensemble into Discord. That's pretty impressive. And for me at least, it was one of those things that I had to see in person to fully understand and appreciate. And because I can't turn off, it reminded me of building automation. The design sequences, programs and codes, sensors, and physical controllers all need to be in right order for a building to be optimized and performing at its best. It's an easy comparison to think of different types of building equipment under control, your air handling units, VAV boxes, fan coil units, as instruments such as cellos, violins, or violas, all of which are reading their sheet music, which is actually just sequences of operations programmed into logic code. Even the best laid intentions don't produce the result for the occupant if one little sensor that should be reading 68 degrees is reporting 86 degrees. This is true in all buildings, but no building is more like a symphony orchestra than a healthcare facility. The requirements are tighter, the regulations are stricter, and the stakes of the required outcomes are higher. For a healthcare facility, more is expected to ameliorate the discomfort and stress of being an occupant, in this case a patient, to lessen what is at best a less than desired way to spend your time. More is also expected to enable healthcare professionals, surgeons, nurses, and anyone else in the facility, to perform their high leverage duties within, all while optimizing versus the very same goals of efficiency and resiliency that we have in any other type of building. Our guest today is Brian Keemer, strategic account manager of solutions for healthcare and pharmaceuticals at Schneider Electric. Brian is a tactical leader with history of developing and motivating high performance teams in the creation of business to service the needs of external and internal customers in a global marketplace. Brian has knowledge and experience in the pharmaceutical and healthcare segments and a mechanical engineering degree from Pitt where he also became a GM scholar. He's logged over 15,000 hours of service enriching the lives of children and has worked for Schneider Electric in strategic accounts for over 20 years in U.S. and international roles. We chat with Brian in Act 2. Act 2. You can't play a symphony alone. It takes an orchestra to play it. Naviat sings Sidhu, And with that... Let's dive right into our conversation with Brian. How about, have you ever been to a symphony orchestra or any type of performance like that? Yeah,
1: I have. I loved attending Carnegie Hall to see Leonard Bernstein and to listen to his music and watch him conduct. Um, he was just a, he was a truly a master. And there were times when I would go there and I wouldn't read the playbill. I would just sit there with my eyes closed to try to figure out the story that he was trying to tell and then read the playbill. And, you know, to see the similarities uh, from the feelings that I received from the music, you know, it was just unbelievable unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's amazing what you're able to translate when you've got a group of people working together under a guy's tutelage like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It, it, it transcends. That's cool. Yeah, I've only been to one myself, and I had a you know, a similar type of experience where it's moving, and it's it's pretty easy to get lost in it in a different way. Where's Carnegie Hall? Is that in New York? New York City, yeah. I'm gonna, that's where I live. I'm going to have to get down there. I, I haven't made my way to Carnegie Hall yet.
1: It's a great place.
0: Well, cool. So, Shifting gears then, talking about how music has changed over time, how have the demands on hospital facilities changed during your career?
1: Well, hospitals are becoming more intuitive than ever before. You know, the integration of disparate systems uh, make hospitals much more functional, much more efficient, and should I say, a space for healing more than ever before.
0: From what I've seen, and I'm I'm not spending all my time in this industry as you do, but you've got a place now where different vested interests and stakeholders are able to interface and work together and be connected through those disparate systems that are now together in ways they haven't been able to previously, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they're more user-friendly today from wayfinding systems to, you know, to admin systems. Um, You know, they they're paperless. They're becoming more sustainable, you know, where you go to a floor and you, you check in right at the kiosk and, you know, it directs you to your room and notifies the doctor that you're there. It's, it's pretty amazing what's happening in hospitals today, as well as, you know, they're much more environmentally safer.
0: Well, I, I think, you know, what you mentioned there in terms of, you know, from the check-in and alerting the doctor that you're there sounds like it's centered on the patient. Would I be right to say that optimizing the patient experience is the most important thing for stakeholders in the hospital industry and if so why do you think that is
1: absolutely it's all about optimizing the patient experience And the reason why, well, you know, I was reading a Becker's Hospital Review where he was talking about hospitals and health systems and their reimbursements have become more closely tied to clinical outcomes as well as patient satisfaction. And as a result, patient experience surveys are becoming an increasingly valuable tool for healthcare organizations to guide efforts for improving the patient experience. Um, CMS, it's the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Systems. They plan to expand the surveys and link performance to reimbursement more more in the future. The government now mandates all hospitals and health systems to assess for quality and patient satisfaction, and it applies reimbursement penalties to organizations that fail to meet certain expectations.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> the patient experience is directly associated Yeah with an organization's brand reputation and ability to capitalize on market share. So hospitals are using patient experience as a competitive and a strategic differentiator. And and the proof is in the pudding, right? The top performers for patient satisfaction have the lowest avoidable readmissions.
0: And so the, the experience survey that is recording patient experience and reporting that back, how does that survey work?
1: Well, funny you should ask. There's something called caps, and caps really talk about, uh, it's a survey that talks about their experience. You know, was okay. the doctor, did the doctor communicate properly? Were they able to sleep at night? Were instructions given to them appropriately, you know, pre and post-hospital? And, uh, you know, the, and it talks about their experience, and it goes into a database, and it allows people, customers, patients... To become much more intelligent about hospitals that they choose for various care, various levels of care.
0: Interesting. I mean, it just, it seems like sort of a low-tech way to do it, to do a survey, but it's also, I mean, that's the voice of the patient. That's the voice of the customer. If you collect enough of that, um, you should be able to get some pretty good insights. So through those patient satisfaction surveys, I'm, I'm guessing the patient experience has been able to change based on those results. Uh, in what ways has the patient experience changed since you got started in the industry?
1: Well, you know, again, I think patients are becoming, you know, much more astute consumers when it comes to healthcare. care, you know, as a result of the patient satisfaction surveys. You know, hospitals are taking steps to become more patient-centric and, you know, more advanced in their deployment of digital strategies to improve patient satisfaction scores. This includes from, you know, things, systems like wayfinding and um, admissions to room controls for temperatures and shade control to HAI mitigation, which is hospital-acquired infection mitigation. So they're growing in this age of digital transformation and, and that... Trend is actually starting to accelerate.
0: In season one, we had Deval Shah on as a guest who talked about um, workplace efficiency and spent a lot of time talking about wayfinding. Is that something that you've seen take it take some large strides in the last few years in healthcare? And how does it how does it work?
1: Well, you know, a lot of hospitals are tacking on, right? They're building a new tower. Yep. Um, and as they build new towers, they have to, you know, try to figure out what the avenue is for patients to get to the new towers, and over the years, it can become very convoluted, the way to, you know, to go to a certain building or a certain tower. I've been in a few hospitals where I've gotten lost several times, and and, uh, I was really trying to, (laughs) I had to make a few stops to ask people, you know, which way is, is the right way. But now, you know, with the use of digital technology, you can just pick up the phone and, and actually uh, the hospital will send you directions. They'll know exactly where you are and provide directions on the phone to get you to where you need to be. You
0: no, know, I mean, I, so I've, I've spent some time volunteering at things like children's hospitals and things like that, where, you know, they've tried to make it easier by naming wings after animals and colors and things like that. It's cool to see technology play a central part in what actually can be a very serious thing, you know getting to where you need to go quickly in, in the hospital. Um, so it's nice to see that. Uh, has, has technology been central to other changes uh, outside of wayfinding that you know jump out to you or resonate with you?
1: Well yeah, you know technology now is being embedded in all sorts of products from hospital beds to the electrical distribution systems and the integration of these products, improve systems, actually, and the integration of these siloed systems as well, you know, and I think technology is really lending itself for, you know, and being able to uh, leverage the technology actually in cloud-based solutions and apps that continue to change the hospital landscape when it comes to patient satisfaction.
0: I understand that, you know, some of the things that have been connected and digitized include Wheelchairs, for lack of a better term. I don't know if that's the right terminology for healthcare, but RFID on wheelchairs and linking that with elevators and doctors' locations and things like that seem to be kind of a radical opportunity provided in the healthcare sphere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it is. And, you know, you just can't say enough. And what happens with, you know, because of technology and because of the advances in technology and the innovations surrounding these technologies, these new technologies and burgeoning technologies, hospitals are becoming much, much more intuitive. So God forbid if a baby is abducted um, today, as soon as they get past the first door, I mean, the elevators are shutting down, cameras are spanning, um, emergencies, uh, emergency people are being notified in an instant. It's no longer dependent upon human behavior in time-critical situations like
0: that. Yeah, and Brian, that's such a good example because as you started listing off the different systems that might play a part in that, those have all historically been separate And I think now what you just illustrated there is that they can communicate with one another for the type of critical things that might happen in a health care facility um, in a pretty clear, like, bright illustration. So that's really cool. Um, How about sustainability? That's changing everywhere. How has that changed responsibilities and metrics in the hospital industry over time?
1: Well, uptime is, is more critical than ever before. We have more sensitive equipment in hospitals today that can't afford to break down, you know, like MRI machines, but not only that, you know, the infrastructure that supports all of this critical equipment that allow doctors to perform their skill, their craft, their art to make people well is a huge concern for a hospital. So uptime of their critical infrastructure is so very important. And uh, sustainability comes in two ways. One is, you know, one is energy reliability, where you know we talk about the uptime of infrastructure that supports uh, supporting wellness, and then energy savings as well, where uh, hospitals have to become more responsible, are becoming more fiscally responsible to manage its costs, and not only that, but to be you know great corporate citizens.
0: I think that those are both really good points. When you talk about reliability and resiliency, that's a term that you hear so much more now. Uh, We might as well make sure we're doing everything that we can keep our uptime running and healthcare is ground zero for that type of thing. And then also in terms of energy efficiency, I've heard things like ORs being as energy intensive as a house or something like that, right? I don't know exactly what it is, um, but I've heard that, you know, you're going to be using energy. So you've got to find different ways to be sustainable, just like any other building owner. That's correct. You know, we've talked and illustrated here about how hospitals have changed over time, and and how patient experience and technology are, are central. Where do you believe we are in the process? Are we at the beginning, the middle, uh, are we at the the peak of what we're going to see? How do you feel about that?
1: No, we're not at the peak. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I think we're at the be, we're, we're at the beginning. You know, there have been companies that have been on the forefront of technology for hospitals, and hospitals in the past have been slow to change. They, uh, a lot of hospitals today are still doing things by paper and pencil, believe it or not. But the growing pressure on margin is forcing hospitals to digitize in a way that supports how they do more with less.
0: You mentioned that there are some hospitals that are still doing things with pen and paper. Is that the majority of hospitals or is there a typical type of hospital that would still have that in place? or?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, some of your older hospitals yeah. that haven't invested in New infrastructure, uh, so that they can get the latest and greatest technology available, um, are, are still, you know, are still in the stone ages. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but they are. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate because as they struggle to hire more people to do the work, they could be leveraging what I call digital labor and digital assets that, you know, that augment the uh, your full-time equivalent's ability to to manage an aging infrastructure you know and unfortunately I mean they're spending more to do less I mean you're spending more and and continuing to do more yeah. instead of spending money on uh, on technology to help their experience
0: uh, Brian I think since you did such a good job explaining Hcap earlier What you just described there makes a lot of sense in terms of this sort of self-fulfilling cycle where if you're not making investments, maybe you're not bringing in the same level of talent to support the patients. Maybe your satisfaction scores get lower. Maybe it costs you more to do less. Um, And you can kind of see that machine fuel itself by essentially not investing in the process.
1: You know, unfortunately, it's a vicious cycle. Yep. And, you know, some, some hospitals can't afford to get out of their own way yep. because the dollar's available, et cetera. Tough climate for people who have not invested.
0: So in terms of investment, what are the big things that we can invest in or do from a facilities operation level to help protect patients at they're most vulnerable?
1: You know, knowing when patients are on the move helps staff clean and maintain rooms. That it helps to save on energy costs within the hospital. Uh, make sure that uh, everyone visiting patients are washing their hands, uh, you know, and that they're complying to, you know, the standards of the hospital. Make sure that elevators expedite doctors, as you mentioned, um, to their emergency calls. It, it allows staff to locate critical equipment within the hospital, and it certainly assures the, the finest delivery of care.
0: From a, from a technology perspective, you know there's a lot of different ways that technology can come into play in a hospital, and you mentioned that we might be at the the beginning of where healthcare is headed. What types of technologies will become more central to the experience for you know patients or doctors and nurses or 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 just building staff? Does anything jump out to you on that front that you kind of expect to see in the near future?
1: More integration of the siloed infrastructure, yeah, be it mechanical, electrical security or ICT, information and communications technology infrastructure. I see that happening. I see more of it and um, where they're leveraging apps and the cloud to do more than than it's doing today.
0: Yeah, this is something that I've remarked previously. And we're actually going to have a episode this season about Division 25 specification and master system integrators. And it makes sense for that type of solution to emerge in a place that's as high leverage and as critical as healthcare, because there's so much more at stake in that type of environment. I so agree. it it doesn't really surprise me at all to hear you say that, you know, really where things are moving is integration.
1: And, you know, and the cloud's going to play an important part. And uh, the reason why I say that is because of cybersecurity. Today, hospitals can't afford to hire the staff, or invest in all of the patches for all of their software and computer and communication technologies uh, solutions. And so, but the cloud is able to do that for them at very minimal cost. And so, from a cybersecurity perspective, because things are migrating to the Internet of Things, uh, you know, cloud-based solutions are going to become even more important.
0: That's a really interesting point, actually, because the future can be uncertain and scary. (laughs) And I think a lot of times when people talk about connectivity and integration and technology, cybersecurity is a really big concern. So your your point there about investing in the cloud is a great way for hospital systems to prepare themselves for that future. And they'd be able to essentially keep themselves online and uh, prevent really bad things from happening. How else do you think hospital systems can prepare themselves for an un- uncertain future, and what are the rewards for them in doing so?
1: They need to be IoT focused. They need to have an IoT strategy. That's the future. It's and so they're they're going to need equipment that is uh, connectable to the IoT, and that will allow them to through an edge control platform to take a look at the quality of of their infrastructure and uh, customize alarming that suits their needs. And then also to bubble data embedded in their hospital to cloud-based solutions and, and apps. So that they even become even more efficient, and I know that you know when you're when you're in the cloud. I mean that's a 24/7 operation, and so and that allows data to flow and to be analyzed, uh, and people to be called around the clock, and for CFOs and COOs and doctors and nurses and people who are providing care to these patients can have a warm and fuzzy feeling that their <laughs> hospital is is compliant.
0: Yeah, and I, I think you you used you you started saying that we should have an IoT strategy, and then you mentioned data flowing, which is something that you hear often in terms of you know in the information age, data is the new oil, and it fuels all of the decisions that can be made at the cloud or with software and with analytics. So by having those connected devices and those smart things, you're really preparing yourself for something that can protect you in an uncertain future, and that as you so well put patients and CEOs and doctors and nurses can be excited about.
1: And on the infrastructure side, I mean, it saves time. So now, you know, before and some hospitals, you know, it remains this way. But, you know, when something breaks down, like a breaker shuts off, there's a guy that doesn't really know what's what he's going to be facing, has to walk, you know, I don't know, these hospitals are growing, but, you know, s- several football fields to yep. get to the piece of equipment only to take a look at it and walk back to several football fields to deliver the information and walk all the way back to, with some tools to, to fix the thing. So now, you know, with the IoT and, and platforms that support the Internet of Things, you know, you can sit at your computer. You you can sit at your computer and diagnose it immediately and with clouds uh, with um, cloud-based solutions you can have experts look at that information to do a deep dive into what's happening and and dispatch the the right personnel to go and fix it the first
0: time yep that is uh that is something that i've, I've spoken to jana gerber about on this show about sort of replacing or augmenting the big red toolbox uh yes. with, with with some smarter decision making capabilities makes all the sense in the world. I mean, it's it's essentially like adding full-time employees to your staff and, yeah. you know, exactly that so that you can sort of augment that behavior.
1: That's why I call it digital labor.
0: Now it makes a lot more sense now. I, I've heard it uh, called sometimes um, blue-collar IT, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where, where you're kind of moving in that direction, so that's terrific. So this has been great. You've given us a ton of really concentrated information on what the healthcare world is like and how hospital facilities are evolving. So I thank you for that. It's been really great having you as a guest. I like asking everybody this as a a way to close, but uh, why are you excited to be a professional in the building technology industry? If you could give me an answer on that.
1: Tyler, there's no greater satisfaction in knowing you help doctors deliver their skill to help people. Yeah and that you're helping to provide the best environment of care for wellness. I love what I do and proud to be a, a corporate citizen of a company that continues to invest in improving our humanity and wellness across the globe. I can tell you that when I, when I walk into places like Nemours Children's Hospital, and when you see the kids from all ages, from infant to to teens, walk into that hospital with all their ailments, and when you know you, you know that you're there to ensure that they get the best care possible, it's the best feeling in the world.
0: I mean, all the things that we've talked about here today about making things a little bit more efficient, or a little bit faster, or a little bit easier. The bottom line in this industry is it has a huge effect on people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being my guest. I'm sure the audience appreciated it. And I certainly appreciated having you on and and getting the chance to talk to somebody that knows so much about the healthcare industry.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for having me.
0: Brian will share with us a place that he's taken a liking to in a few short moments to close out our episode. But he and I also have another place in common, Pittsburgh, where he went to college and I grew up. As do I, I'm sure he looks back on his time there fondly, if not differently due to the fact that this was a collegiate experience for him, and as we all look back at certain towns from certain times and places. It's not just towns, though. It's eras as well. I'll show you how we're more entrenched than we realize in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake.
1: time I I didn't really listen to country music, but when I started going to Nashville and really liking the Nashville scene, I found myself gravitating to the music. Again, you know, it was speaking to the heartbeat of different people.